After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, it's Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus here again. Boy, we've done a lot of these podcasts in the last, uh, it's going on two years now. It's unbelievable. And uh, so I, today, I had this, I just was traveling, and I had, I wouldn't call it an epiphany, Uh, I'd call it a, a badass problem as I was traveling through airports, it suddenly occurred to me I was just, I was spending all my time on my cell phone. All my time. And I and I used to think to myself, and I thought to myself, I used to, I used to hang out at airports and people watch and just sit there and contemplate and so on and so forth, you know, in a very uh, mellow manner. And suddenly that all has been completely transformed by this little thing. And so uh, it. Uh, I ended up finding this article, and it was called The End of Reflection, another thing from the New York Times. This is something I used to do with my, uh, my partner, David Silver, who, by the way, is coming back, folks. He's going to come back and do something. Uh, and it's, uh, it's part of a column called Future Tense and this Teddy Wayne, uh, wrote this. So it's a it's a quite great article. So I was thinking about this myself and and the death of of self reflection. And then I thought, shit, this is only happening to me in the last what ten years, maybe. You know, the level of efficiency of the smartphone got it to the point where it can absolutely handle everything, right? And then I thought, God, what about you know my my young friends? way younger friends who grew up with this thing and their brains have been completely programmed, like way more hardwired. I mean, it's, I'm still at least, there's a space that I can look at this and go, what the hell happened here to me? So I invited a couple of uh, my buddies who happen to work for the Be Here Now Network. They're part of our team. JR and Corey, welcome to Mind Rolling, guys. Hey, hey Raghu. Thanks for having us on again. Yeah. Hey. So, uh, all right. So, I just want to give the premise to what this thing is uh, in terms of what he's talking about. There are many moments throughout my average day that lacking print reading material in a previous era were once occupied by thinking. Remember thinking? Or observing my surroundings, walking, 
or waiting somewhere, riding the subway. In my case, it was in an airport. Lying in bed, unable to sleep, or before mustering the energy to get up. Now, forget about it. He didn't say that. I often find myself in these situations picking up my phone to check a notification, browse and read the internet, text, use an app or listen to audio, or on rare occasion, engage in an old-fashioned telephone call. (laughs) The last remaining place I'm guaranteed to be alone with my thoughts is in the shower. Okay? Do we get the premise and do we understand it fully 100,000%? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Finding moments to engage in contemplative thinking has always been a challenge since we're distractible. And this is by a guy named Nicholas Carr, author of The Shallows. By the way, let's look at that, guys, after this and find that book. And this guy sounds interesting. But now that we're carrying these powerful media devices around with us all day long, those opportunities become even less frequent for the simple reason that we have this ability to distract ourselves constantly, right? It's a great human uh, human ability. Neuroplasticity, or the brain's ability to change, due to technological use, is is a hot topic. Usually the tone is alarmist. And, uh, well, it should be, because we are reprogramming our brains. But there, and this is interesting, J.R., I know you're into video games, uh, he says, take video games. One study revealed improvements in memory and focus for older adults when playing a simple uh, road racing uh, game, video game. In another study, playing Super Mario 64 was observed to yield increases in gray matter in regions of the brain associated with memory, planning, and spatial navigation. That's why you're good at this shit, right, JR? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all puzzle solving. Yeah. Uh, but my grandmother, uh, she's suffering with dementia and it's starting to get worse. Mm. But as it was on setting, she was playing words with friends on her phone all the time. And it helped her so much. And she's, she is still so good at it. No one can beat her. I've just given up even playing her because she's so good at it. And I really think that forcing your brain to be active and stimulated um, is very beneficial to uh, to improving your overall life in certain ways, mm. in certain ways. Yeah. But there's also sides. Yeah. Well, so what this article is saying, obviously, our level of distraction through smartphones is beyond the beyond. And, and, and the, uh, the resultant change in our brain chemistry, the, the whole, the new byword of uh, neuroplasticity, is huge. So the positive is what we're talking about where playing video games or you just talked about your grandmother uh, doing word puzzles and stuff, and she's, it's really helping. And they've, they've shown that uh, as well in studies around geriatric uh, memory loss at the very least, if not to mention Alzheimer's. But what he also says here is these cognitive abilities are distinct from mentally sequestered rumination. Okay, so the fact that you're you're good at all this stuff in terms of 
you know, what kids go through and what you did, what you, you were into it when you were like 12 or something, right? I mean, you were video, I mean, you were building sites at 13 or 14, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that ability, what he's saying has nothing to do with this whole other aspect of our humanness, which is, uh, the, the, the ability to be in a, ruminative space at the very least if not a contemplative space in other words that takes time and one has to sit there and one is not pulled in one direction there's a peaceful sitting in that moment um the depth of that reflection compromised because we have retrained ourselves to seek out the immediate graphic gratification of external stimuli so uh that uh, so just talk about your own experience here uh Corey, tell us a little bit about you i mean you uh, both are have been profoundly involved in um using every aspect of of our technological revolution and most especially what's happened with the smartphone you know people aren't even going to websites now forget email right What's yeah. what's your experience of it, positive, negative, in terms of your generational uh, attitude? I I'm kind of fortunate because I'm seeing it from a pivot point where, when I was in my adolescence, it was still very much the old way of doing things. We had a voicemail machine. No one had a cell phone. We had computers, but it was still very rudimentary, and pretty much we had instant messenger to communicate. There was no real um social media uh like we have today we weren't connected like we were and jump five years ahead ten years ahead i'm in college and everyone's connected through facebook through myspace everyone has a cell phone and a laptop and the i got to witness the social change the way that we move from socializing together and then socializing online and how it's kind of changed a bit um, I I don't really participate in social media the way that um, JR's generation, who's only five years younger than me, does. <laughs> they, they grew up with that in a whole different way. <laughs> yeah, really, five um, years—that's crazy. Just yeah. just five years, and someone five years older than me has no association in the way that I do with it. Um, we kind of gr- come into it uh, in our like young teen years. Um, at different phases. So he came into it with everyone already being connected. There's already this language that's been established. There's, a, and he opened up his own website and had an, his own community of people based around video game glitches. <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah. such a random small community yeah. to have online. When I was his age, people weren't even talking, our, our age group weren't even communicating online whatsoever. Uh, when I was in school, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, I was in high school when I had my very first cell phone, but there was no use using it in class. There was no point in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Texting. <laughs> There's no internet. Yeah. Um, but now as an adult, I totally find myself getting caught up in that uh, it's that dopamine hit that you get from social media and from your device. Whether it's going to solve a question you have in your mind, whether you want to see what someone else is up to, um, whether you just want to distract yourself. It's an incredible tool to do all those things. Yeah, yeah. I remember – oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. I was going to say 
my experience with it was I kind of saw it coming up because I was always really interested in technology. Um, of course, with being into programming and um, coding and all that at a young age, I was really intrigued by that whole world. So, so I iPhone as soon as it came out and um, interesting side caveat is my dad actually uh, helped Apple solve this huge problem when the first iPhone came out Really? where um, yeah they had so many people get it and they were activating through the Apple store who was then going to AT&T and my dad figured out some solution to make it work where otherwise it was just getting bottlenecked really hard on the Apple servers and crashing and no one could use their iPhones after they bought them. And my dad figured out how to get it fixed and he got like a raise and like uh, Steve Jobs like signature on his uh, like custom special iPhone. Like, so I got to, yeah, I was really in, wow. ingrained into knowing how this stuff worked as well as seeing how intuitive everything got all the apps are so brainless you don't have to think about it you just go and you get like a little red dot with a letter or a number on it with a notification and like Corey said that's a dopamine hit right there that's like oh gosh i gotta see what people are saying about me now yeah. you know <laughs> and then uh i just remember i was dating this girl and she was like my first real girlfriend like we lived together and did stuff and hung out all the time and we were really close and there was that was like real love that we shared uh for the first time and i just remember like one day she was like why are you such a dick like why are you always looking at your phone we would hang out and go go out to eat or whatever and i'm just always on reddit like <laughs> looking at bullshit like i i mean as soon as she said that that was enough to wake me up and be like wow what am i doing so i i got it maybe a few years ago a hit like that of someone like waking me up to the reality of this isn't okay like when when you're out in public with another person you really shouldn't be browsing like reddit or whatever um in silence or even worse having a conversation with them while looking down at your oh, phone just be like, him, jesus yeah yeah <laughs> oh. there's a quote i heard from this show i don't remember the guy's name but he was saying like you should never half-ass two things because then it just ends up where both of them just end up being bad you should always just whole ass one thing and just be very focused on Mm. what the task is at hand and i don't remember who said it but it was a very wise quote from someone who's not usually very wise yeah <laughs> well the the quote i most often use on mind rolling through through the i just said you know been doing this for almost a couple of years the quote is uh and i i never remember who who said it but the most generous thing that you can do in your entire life is to pay attention to another person. The most generous thing that you can do. You know, talk, that's enlightenment. 
and and the difficulty I, I have difficulty with with this in my day to day life. Uh, you know, I'm a little ADD. I'm I'm you know, and they talk about in this article multitasking and and what that does. But there are positives and negatives for all of this. But the the idea that um, on top of any kind of ADD personality that I myself have, on top of it to have this 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 little object that's constantly in my hand and on me. I mean, you know, there's some people who absolutely freak out if their phone, you know, if they lost their phone or if they left it somewhere else and, and they can't be with it for the night. Okay, they completely, it's a phobia. There's a cell phobia, smartphone phobia of loss. It's unbelievable. Um, so the, if that further exacerbates my ability to be here in totally full attention with somebody, you know, that's why I, I was sitting in that airport and thinking about this and thinking about this article and going, yeah, we 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 collectively and by the way just uh, Corey, you're how old are you 28 28 and you jr 23 yeah so uh and that five year gap is huge way huger than i thought by the way okay that's, yeah, that's amazing really too yeah every five years something else happens big i mean it has been god knows you know with in terms of technology and so on um but but there are good parts like in this article the way that you uh video the use engaging with video games can enhance your mind and the gray matter and so on so there's the positive and negative on all of this stuff and um so you know for you guys what's is the upside on this i mean jr you just said to you it's said to us i stopped because this person who you loved and was close to you said, what are you doing? It's basically saying, what are you doing to me? You're not mm -hmm. giving me anything of yourself, right? And you stop. So in terms of thinking about that kind of thing, as well as, as the other side, what, is, what, is, uh, what do you say about the balance sheet between the negative and positive? Well, I think you can find balance in all things. And I think you can even be mindful while you're using a cell phone. Um, it, it comes down to, you know, there's like some benefits to say, like, if you play video games, you might see an increase in your reaction time and problem solving abilities, uh, general uh, quickness in terms of your like wittiness in a way uh you just in general everything's quicker because in games you're constantly being challenged to improve yourself it's kind of like practice in a way um intellect practice and in some ways physical practice if you're having to incorporate you know motor movements into the game um with a controller of some sort uh and then the negative side is you have to devote your attention to it. And when you're looking at a device that's got a screen that's illuminated coming out at you, um, it's so bright usually that your eyes just get fixated on it. Kind of like when you're driving, you'll see construction and everything's kind of reflective. And subconsciously, your brain is kind of seeing that and getting more alert 
Well, that's what happens when you're looking at a phone, too. And unless you have something like that dims your screen, it makes it more... Uh, I have this program called Flux on my laptop, and it makes my screen kind of a yellowish tinge when it gets to nighttime. And uh, that's like the halogen lighting. And that helps a lot with producing melatonin, because if you're looking at a computer screen at nighttime, it affects your melatonin as well, which can impact your sleeping. And they recently added that feature to the iPhones, which is very useful as well. I've got it. Okay, I have to get my wife on this immediately. She gets up at night, and that uh, it kills me. Uh, what's it called? Flux. Flux. Yes, is the app, and it's built into the iPhone. This is crazy in the um, middle of our podcast, but this is super important <laughs> to me. Okay, so Flux works on a laptop, and the iPhone has a new mode called Night Shift. So as long as she's updated. To the newest, like 9.3.5, I think. Um, she'll be able to enable night shift mode, and it, it does the same thing. It's so useful. Okay, everybody out there, this is high end information, okay? Because I cannot be the only person this is happening to, uh, waking up in the middle of the night with an iPhone blaring out there off the ceiling, you know. Uh, Sorry, Beyond sorry. that, it helps with your sleep cycles. Yeah. It really helps unwork some of the damage that using your devices right. past daybreak or the end of the yeah, day. Big plug oh, for iPhone here, yeah. Like right now, I can tell that sitting in the room that we're in right now, it's kind of a dim lighting. I would rather have it on right now. Um, this white is actually making my eyes feel a little more uncomfortable than the if, warm, yeah, dark room that we're in at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, just moving a little bit more along with this uh, particular article, uh, and you were just talking about speed, uh, Jr. Um, as our technologies increase the intensity of stimulation and the flow of new things, we adapt to that pace. We become less patient. When moments without stimulation arise, we start to feel panicked and don't know what to do with them because we've trained ourselves, neuroplasticity, to expect this stimulation, new notifications and alerts, etc., etc., right? I mean, just what I want is to become less patient, okay? As I said, I already came in to this incarnation with a bunch of bullshitty kind of things that I'm dealing with, okay? Certainly, impatience is one of them, and lack of focused attention is another one. So I'm looking at this after I had the experience, and I'm going, holy shit, this is killing me. This smartphone is killing me. Um, but uh, in, in reality, um, uh, he also talks here about what, what this often translates to in the discourse of the Internet is demand for immediate and perfunctory hot takes rather than carefully weighed judgments whether they're about serious or superficial matters. Uh, and what's happened, he says, our current direction is, is indicative of the loss of the contemplative mind. Okay, And that's probably 
uh, in all of this on the positive and negative ledger of, you know, we know how much good this is, the way it brings people together, the way that you can find anything on the net, the way that we're doing what we're doing right now and sharing ourselves with people. I mean, this is all irreplaceable at this point in our evolvement as humans. And I guess at the same time, uh, we have to be aware that the loss of, of contemplative uh, mind is, um, is a crucial thing that we can't lose. It's from that place that we get to know each, uh, ourselves better and each other better. But uh, in, in that light, uh, Corey, because uh, uh, I know you've been working on this with uh, some of uh, the blogs that we're doing on BeHereNowNetwork.com, um, and uh, you've been working on something that's dear to our hearts because Be Here Now is all about being in the moment. It's what Ramdas brought over from India in the late 60s. It's why all of this exists uh, as it does right now. And talk about full circle from him getting people mm-hmm. to be in the moment at that time through through this concept all the way till now when we're you know we're talking about how our smartphones and the kind of distractive nature that uh, we develop with them. Uh, does not allow us, I mean, contemplative mind, uh, you could say, does not allow us to be here in the moment, because you've been doing some work at uh, Be Here Now Network uh, on our beautiful Awakened Heart blog. And, uh, yeah, talk about what does being in the moment mean to you? I mean, we talk about Be Here Now. Be Here Now is almost like, uh, could be like Coke, you know, you kind of know what it tastes like, but you don't know what the ingredients are. What's the ingredients of being in that moment f- for you? I guess it's uh, really just being aware of what's making up the moment. Uh, the thoughts going through your head tend to distract you from that moment, from the people that you're with, the conversation that you're having, the environment that you're in, all the things that make each moment of our life so special that we can look back upon and form great memories or even aspire to have in the future, we, we lose it um, because we're thinking so much about what we've done, what's about to come before us, what other people are thinking about us. There's so many things going through our head and it really distracts from the moment at hand. Um, I think that mindfulness really it it brings us to a moment of awareness in our own space that we don't have in a day to day. Of all the stimulus that comes in and out, we don't really pick apart how it affects us and that affects how we interact in the world. And I think that's um, that's something that's pretty special about that. Uh, that we all come to realize. Um, I feel like many people view the world as if they have this bubble that's their space, and then all the stimulus, everything's coming into the bubble. And they don't realize that, yes, everything is coming into this, this space, but you're reflecting it back out. And if you're not being mindful, you're just literally reflecting like someone sends someone's angry with you and they snap at you if you're not being mindful you're going to reflect that negative energy back on them by snapping back at them but if you're taking your mindfulness and and you 
you take a space between the action that is happening to you and then you think about it for just it could even be a split second but just try to make it longer than your initial response just to really take a breath and make sure that what you're about to send back to them isn't something that you might regret later mm. and i think that's that's um what what's the buddhist word for it uh for like proper speech rightful speech yeah right speech yeah mm. yeah and so that you can engage in right speech yeah if you can if you can create a gap in your reaction that's certainly part of mindfulness it's also the other thing, though, probably that has to happen first, and that's why Ramdas talks about the witness. In fact, I just had a conversation with him, uh, we did a video a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we talked about the witness as a precursor to uh, mindfulness. And it's also, uh, there's a, uh, a spiritual teacher named um, Gurdjieff that you may have heard of, that uh, he had something called self-remembering. Now, the, the, what Ramdas said was the m- most important thing on it was that you weren't doing it from a mental place. Now, the, the first thing to engage in creating a gap like JR, like you just suggested, is hugely important. So you're not, because otherwise you have no chance, you're just reacting, you know. Uh, right. So you, that space has to happen. But the next thing, where that space, where you are sitting in that space is important because if it's if it's in your mind that's judging and judging that person yourself for your reaction and all that, you're you're going to be stuck. So so probably the next best thing to do is take a breath into the center of your chest, you know, recognizing that uh, we're you are now going to get out of the head. And you see Ramdas always pointing to his head and, and pointing to it from his head to his chest. So because it can't be in a judgmental space. And that's the one thing around mindfulness today that may be a little bit lacking in my mind is uh, people thinking that I'm going to think my way through this. I'm going to think, okay, I'm not going to react. I'm going to think that I'm eating and just be around that eating. I think, you know, it's coming from the thinking ego part and it's not as... Yeah. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. You know, I think has a really great perspective on that is um, Ramana Maharshi. When he talks about when you trace the ego, you come to the self. So if you trace where you're getting these egoic thoughts from, you'll eventually realize it's just coming from this place of wanting to feel accepted or loved by other people. And when you begin to realize that people... I think I actually saw uh, Jasmine, uh, Saraswati's stepdaughter, post this on Facebook yesterday. But when you realize that people aren't treating you badly because of you, they're treating you badly because of them, you can get a different perspective yeah. on what's happening in in life. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I don't... I mean, you just brought up Ramana Maharshi. I mean, that's where I was going. You you jumped my train there, Jr. <laughs> that's where I was going because you know it seemed like this article, the loss of contemplative mind, the loss of uh, the end of inward exploration. That's the kind of thing that I got out of this article, and then it started to make me think about Ramana Ramana Maharshi. He's the when I first went to India, the the first. Uh, place that I went to was uh, his ashram in Tiruvannamalai, 
Um, so uh, he he's certainly um, someone special for me too. Uh, do you know his story? What happened? I'm going to tell it to you anyhow. Doesn't matter if you know it or not. But do you know Go it? Ahead. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't, know. don't test just, me on it though. Okay, I won't. <laughs> All right. So he's just hanging out in his hell. He's 16, 17 years old. And he said, I seldom had any sickness, but one day there was not, uh, but on, uh, uh, and there was nothing wrong with my health. But one day, suddenly, I had a violent, this violent fear of death overtook me. There was nothing in my state of health to account for it. And I did not try to account for it or to find out whether there was any reason for the fear. I just felt, I'm going to die. And began, can you imagine 17, okay, and began thinking what to do about it. It did not occur to me to consult a doctor or my elders or friends. I felt that I had to solve the problem myself, there and then. The shock of the fear of death drove my mind inwards, and I said to myself mentally, without actually framing the words, now death has come. What does it mean? What is it that's dying? This body dies, and I had once dramatized the occurrence of death. I lay with my limbs stretched out stiff as though rigor mortis had set in and imitated a corpse so as to give greater reality to the inquiry. I held my breath and kept, kept my lips lightly closed so that no sound could escape, so that neither the word I or any other word could be uttered. Well, then, I said to myself, this body is dead. It will be carried stiff to the burning ground and there burnt and reduced to ashes. But what with the death of this body, am I dead? Is the body I? It is silent and inert, but I feel the full force of my personality and even the voice of the I within me apart from it. So I am spirit transcending the body. The body dies, but the spirit that transcends it transcends it cannot be touched by death. This means I am the deathless spirit. All this was not dull thought. It flashed through me vividly as living truth, which I perceived directly, almost without thought process. I was something very real, the only real thing about my present state. And all the conscious activity connected with my body was centered on that, quote-unquote, I. From the moment onwards, from that moment onwards, the I, or self-focused attention on itself by a powerful, uh, or, let's see, the I, or self-focused attention on itself by a powerful fascination, fear of death had vanished once and for all. Absorption in the self continued unbroken from that time on. Other thoughts might come and go like the various notes of music, but the I continued like the fundamental shruti note that underlies and blends with all the other notes. Whether the body was engaged in talking, reading, or anything else, I was still, still centered on I, Previous to that crisis, I had no clear perception of myself and was not consciously attracted to it. I felt no perceptible or direct interest in it, much less any inclination to dwell permanently in it. 
Okay, that's his experience. He just lay down and said, "I'm dead. I'm dying. I'm gone. What did you know? What am I? Who am I?" The effect of the death experience brought about a complete change in his interests and outlook. He became meek and submissive without complaining or retaliating against unfair treatment. He later described his condition. One of the features of my new state was my changed attitude to the Meenakshi temple, this incredible temple, by the way, in South India. Formerly, I used to go there occasionally with friends to look at the images and put the sacred ash and vermilion on my brow and would return home almost unmoved. But after the awakening, I went there almost every evening. I used to go alone and stand motionless for a long time before an image of Shiva or Minakshi or Nataraj and the 63 saints. And I says, as I stood there, waves of emotion overwhelmed me. So this is not... this. This involves, obviously, the heart. That's something many people think of Ramana Maharshi and only think of the self-inquiry, which you know we certainly have to mention here because it's, it's really what I think uh, the biggest detriment on our little ledger sheet of what's good about technology and what's not and how, it's, uh, how it benefits us and how it, it's a detriment to us certainly is the uh, the death of inward inquiry. Um, so his whole thing was, I mean, I'll just go a little bit further, his whole thing, so once he understood himself, and he understood that the I was not the body and the mi- uh, mind and emotions, uh, he, he did that through his biggest teaching, is called uh, self-inquiry, Who Am I? And here's his, his little rap about it. Actions such as going and coming belong only to the body. And so when one says, I went, I came, it amounts to saying that the body is I. But can the body be said to be the consciousness I? Since the body was not before it was born. Is made up, of, it was not before it was born. Do you love that? But the body can be uh, made up of five elements, is non-existent in the state of deep sleep. Okay? How about that? Everybody knows that. When we're, like, sleeping and dreaming, there's no, you know, you're in an ethereal body at the most, right? That you're popping out through. um, And becomes a corpse. Huh? There's no social identity. You're not worrying about anything else other than what you're experiencing. Can this body, which is inert like a log of wood, be said to shine as his eye? Therefore, the eye consciousness, which at first arises in respect of the body, is, virtu- is referred to variously as self-conceit, ego, ignorance, illusion, impuri- impurity, and individual soul. Can we remain without inquiring into this? Is it not for our redemption through inquiry, inquiry, inquiry that all the scriptures declare that the destruction of self-conceit is release? Therefore, making the corpse body remain as a corpse and not even utter the word I, one should inquire keenly thus. Now, what is it that rises as I? Then there would shine in the heart a kind of wordless illumination of the form I. That's the whole thing right there. It's not, but it's hard to understand in words. Would shine in the heart a wordless illumination of the form I, that which we identify with. Right. 
not the ego. That is, there would be shine of its own accord, the pure consciousness, which is unlimited and one. The limited and the many thoughts have disappeared. Sounds good. If one remains quiescent without abandoning that experience, the ego, the individual sense of the form, I am the body, will be totally destroyed. And at the end of the final thought, the I form also would be quenched like a fire that burns camphor. The great sages and scriptures declare that this alone is release. That's Ramana Maharshi, okay? Wow. Yeah, I, I love Maharshi. <laughs> He's so good. What kind of cell phone do you think he would have? <laughs> okay, you know, here, uh, uh, this is a little out of school. My wife will get after me for this, but... Um, this Baba that we met in India, um, he has a cell phone. <laughs> okay, I mean, and he—I mean, this uh, in my mind, a very free being, and uh, you know, and it's—he actually—he he holds on to it too. He's just hanging out with the cell phone. Someone calls, hello. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and it's like it means nothing. It could have been like somebody gave him an extra hand or something. So he has three hands instead of two. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's strictly an extension. It has, it is not impeding or uh, doing anything to uh, consciousness. He's not identified with that consciousness that we are identified with. So that we're, we're upset when we see something on and get a text. We're not upset in this and, you you know, we're, we're reacting to everything, you know? So, Mm -hmm. So there's there is a way where it, it can be a completely different experience. I really I really got a great example of that yesterday, um, with my aunt having passed away today, mm-hmm. um, August twenty eighth at six a.m. Um, yesterday, my mom was very upset, and it was she was projecting every everything that would pop up in her mind normally that she would just think like oh i got a text message uh since she was upset every time she got a text she's like oh no what what is it you know where like the thing on the laptop wouldn't work and she gets upset about that like every single thing that can be a stressor it was interesting observing how that was being projected you know it, it was like observing someone's psychology you know um it's really interesting to watch how how we are really just always it's just reacting and then other people reacting and then it's just like a like have you ever seen a wave when you throw a rock in a pond and it just ripples out it's like that That, that's that's how it works and it's it's just so interesting to watch it unfold yeah you you said that baba he uses the phone like a tool like a phone to pull people to talk to yeah actually he attachment to it yeah yeah. there's nothing else he's getting out of it it sounds like that's what we all need to do we need to take tools like a phone and use them like tools and don't allow them to manipulate us and let us or let ourselves indulge in all the things that they can do yeah as they can do so much but they're only meant to do certain things yeah. i mean it's just like food i mean you don't want to eat food that has a ton of sugar in it all the time it's the same concept. Not all food's bad for you, but some of it can be very bad for you and empty and 
unfulfilling so many words and to you carry it. around a bag of sugar all day long and all you do is stick your head in the bag of sugar that's yeah. all you're gonna get yeah and that's what they're talking about yeah. with the the downside of of uh, of the of the smartphone uh, of the cell phone which is that addiction to that sugar of stimulation and then the, of course it absolutely does prevent uh self reflection and it uh and inner inner exploration which the, the antidote is certainly if you have awareness and you realize this is happening i mean go uh, look up ramana maharshi and you know on this uh, podcast by the way since these guys take care of all this stuff for uh, Be Here Now Network, they'll give you all the information in the great books of his that you can get on Amazon, because, of course, we love you to go up there and get them through our portal, our Amazon thing that you can bookmark. You can tell I'm coming to, I don't know, I, I was promising myself, I, okay, we're not going to do a, a commercial today, but I couldn't help myself, because you, you these books are fantastic, of, of Ramana Maharshi and... Uh, there's an Englishman who who visited him who really interpreted some of this stuff fantastically, Arthur Osborne from uh, England. Uh, so please do recommend that up there, guys, um, for people to get through uh, uh, through our Amazon portal uh, through their bookmark. And uh, this is, um, yeah, uh, to me, this is the the biggest issue. Um, uh, that we should be concerned about. I was telling you before, I was just with, uh, I have some granddaughters and I was with them and from two to eight or they all, they have iPads. Okay. One of them has a cell phone, even though it doesn't work, uh, you know, to get calls, doesn't have a SIM card. Uh, and I, what is going to happen to them? They're starting from birth. Okay. What's well, going to happen? Look at you. Look at you. Look at me. <laughs> look at you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I just think that uh, certainly introducing the awareness. And, Corey, it's like what you said. You know, if if you don't at least realize you're lost, you have no chance at all. <laughs> and that's the first yep. thing in terms of mindfulness, you know, and being in the it's... moment. It's such a really big step. It really is. Just being aware of how it's affecting you and taking a few steps to remove yourself from that. Take the notifications off your Facebook, uh, uh, your app on your phone. Don't, Don't have it tell you every time that it wants you to look at it. Because there's people whose jobs are just for you to get to look at Facebook. That's it. That's all they want you to do is look at it. So just remove that. Take that away. Maybe just message people through uh, email. Just different things. Just remove these little things from your life. And Twitter, Twitter's great, but really what's Twitter getting you at the end of the day? All right. Now, this is counterintuitive to our uh, Be Here Now network, Uh-oh. which you are actually <laughs> working on blogs that people actually are pinging people to read, okay? So uh, there's a little bit of a dichotomy here. That is our dichotomy What? because we, we do want to share this stuff with people. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're looking for our mission is certainly to share it with as many people as we can. These ideas, these concepts, these teachings from all these teachers on the network and from Ram Dass to Jack Kornfield. Uh, so, and, and at the same time, yeah, turn off that damn notification. <laughs> 
We'll just take or control. just turn it on for Be Here Now Network. How about that? Yeah, the thing is, people get so wrapped up in the immediate satisfaction of having big headlines pop out at them or things that seem interesting. And ultimately, if you're interested in podcasts, like if and you're interested in mindfulness or the kind of things that Be Here Now Network would have to offer, uh, I would just recommend just be mindful about the times that you decide to get on Facebook. I I set my phone to um, do not disturb mode pretty much 24 seven. And I have it set where it'll only vibrate if I'm getting a call from someone that I tell it is like important. Like if you call me, my phone vibrates. If someone that's not important calls me, my phone's not gonna vibrate and I'm probably not gonna look at it until later when I decide I wanna pull out my phone to look at it. And I think that's a useful practice and not everyone can do that. Cause sometimes you always need to like have your phone ready. And I, I don't always have it on that mode, but when I'm trying to keep time to myself and I'm like off, you know, like not working or doing anything important, I, I try to keep my phone at like a distance and I only want to pull it out if I'm looking up something that's pertinent to the conversation happening at the moment. Mm or whatever um, the situation calls for, so like a tool. So yeah. in the end, you do create space to just sit in the moment? I mean, that's is that become something for you that's important? Yeah, I pretty much try to be in the moment as much as I can. No, but like, creating the space more than, never mind being in the moment. Uh, the first thing, I, I love what Corey said, yes. which is that if you don't realize that you're, you know, yeah. you're gone, then you have no chance. Of, uh -huh. Once you realize that, you can take action. But actually enjoying, do you actually enjoy, like just sitting there doing nothing and just, just you know, either doing a mala or thinking about uh, Ramana Maharshi or whatever? Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is your set and settings important. Like people say that about taking psychedelics, but I mean, psychedelics don't show you anything that isn't already there. And it's really just showing you some parts of yourself that you may not tap into more. So if you want to put yourself in a good state to always, um, be mindful or be reminded to be mindful and sit and enjoy the moment, then try to make your set and setting as good as possible because that's going to be the best thing to put you in a good state of mind. Um, and yeah, I have, I recently bought like a year's worth of incense from Surya incense company. Oh really? <laughs> I have like 200 and like, no, I have 320 sticks of different incense um, and i if i'm working or if i'm in my room i pretty much always have it burning and i just the scent always Takes reminds you. me to come back oh. and um that's nice and then i have like a little puja i have it off in the corner because i don't have a lot of room in my room but it's portable so i just pull it out and i put all my stuff on it and um do you remember uh, Ryan, who was at the temple in Taos, who was from Knoxville, and yep. we'd hung out at my place like one time, and then he moved, and then suddenly yeah. we're both at this temple across the country randomly. Uh, he came by my house, 
on his way back to South Carolina after he was done staying at the temple. And he, um, he had some of the water from the ashram. And I remember when I was reading Be Here Now, Ramdas was like teaching you how to meditate if you hadn't, didn't really know much about it. And he talked about this like sacred ritual of using water and pouring it in a spot. And I used um, the water from the Neem Karoli Baba temple in Taos on this one spot where um, I'd accidentally spilled all my incense ash on the floor. So all that got spilled on the floor. And then I used the water to clean it up. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my little sitting spot where I'm just going to (laughs) sit from now on. And I mean, that may not actually do anything or matter, but in my mind, it uh, is something sentimental, at least. Um, Maybe I'm just a romantic. (laughs) Uh, You are, you are. (laughs) But you know what? It's also about intention. Intention to create a sacred space for yourself that you can, that you can sit uh, in a place where you're not, uh, your intention is not to be distracted and it's to be able to sit with yourself and get to the to the reality get real that's what uh, Sharon Salzberg when Duncan Trussell asked her and we did a, uh, a thing at uh, you know one of the Maui retreats uh, we were up there together he says to her so Sharon what's your practice what do you do day to day and, you know, she said the greatest thing that I have ever heard uh, uh, around this subject. She just said, you know, I sit down, I get quiet, and I get real. That's it. That's it. That's, that is uh, our intention to do that when you're talking about that, setting up a space and spilled some water, mm-hmm. you had some incense, you're using the incense and remind everything you're doing is that intention to get real, yeah. right? And that's, um, if, if we had a byword on Be Here Now, <laughs> let's together get real, okay? Because that's, <laughs> that's, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. And, and you know, this thing around Ramana Maharshi and, and what he did, you know, for whatever reason, he had the karma. Obviously, he was uh, a realized being that came back and was reminded when he was 17 years old by just sitting there going, "Okay, I'm I'm going to die. What's you know what dies? And I'm going to find that out, and I'm not going to stop till I do." You know, that went on all night. Apparently, I mean, this wasn't a couple hours. He he lay there for for the, I think in the middle of the night he had this satori. So all right, wow. well there you go. God, we just. Time just flies. It's unbelievable. Hey, I want to thank you guys, Corey and JR, part of the Be Here Now team, by the way, Be Here Now Network team. And uh, you can write to them at uh, on at MindRolling if you want to ask them any more questions to get some uh, wisdom from uh, Millennial Generation, which to me is way more wise than whatever that... What's my generation? The... Um, Baby boomers. I don't even like yeah. that name. It's like <laughs> stupid. Uh, but way more, way more. I mean, we had to be hit over the head with giant anvils to get woken up. These guys are getting woken up with nothing. A little psychedelic maybe, but, you know, not much. Uh, <laughs> great to have you. And we shall, uh, we'll do this again. This is fun. So this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Please communicate with us too. We'd love to hear from you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Raghu. Thanks, Raghu.